Well, I figured the second time I was scheduled on the 4th of July, I ought to really invest and fully embrace the holiday. I don't know why the British guy keeps getting chosen for this weekend, but... It's, I think, more of a test of my self-confidence than anything else. I feel like I'm wearing a bathing suit to a dinner party, but it's fine. We're gonna... Just gonna keep going. It's fine. Uh, my name is Phil. I get to lead the incredible team that works with, with children, infants, all the way through the fifth grade here at Overlake. Um, our Kidtown staff and our, our leaders do this amazing job of creating an environment and a, and a space and the resources to allow kids to feel safe and explore faith at their own pace, at their own level. If you've been able to sign up um, for one of the weeks this summer, you'll, you'll experience that. Some of the joy of helping kids connect to God and, and to one another. And if you serve this summer or if you serve during the year, um, can I take this opportunity to thank you? Our families are grateful. I am grateful. It makes such, such a difference. And this morning, we invited our elementary kids to join us in church because I feel there's a great value for them to see you worship and experience the body of the church in, in this space. And it's a privilege, really it is, to share a few thoughts with, with the whole church family this morning. So we're in week two of our Summer of Connection series. We're working our way through the life of David. And last week, Pastor Mike set this scene for us. And we explored how David was chosen by God. And he may not have been the most obvious choice by our standards. In, in fact, he was probably the last choice by our standards, but he was exactly who God wanted to use in his plan. And in the same way, we are chosen by God. We are anointed by God and filled with his spirit so that we may bring comfort to one another. God is the one who gets the glory. And as unlikely as it seems, we are chosen to be a part of that plan. This morning, the specific part of, of God's plan I want to look at is, is when David defeats Goliath. David, this, this young shepherd boy, defeats this literal giant warrior. Now, ordinarily, to defeat, defeat a giant, you would need maybe a superhero. So to get us all on the same wavelength this morning, I did a little bit of digging, and we found some lesser-known superheroes that I think are worth a mention to ease us into this idea. The first up is Mata Eater Lad. Matter Eater Lad. This is not a particularly inspiring name. He, um, he does what it says. He possesses the power to eat matter in all forms, as do, incidentally, all natives of his home planet, which is named Pepto-Bismol. Mm -hmm. mm. There's a lot of questions left unanswered about what happens after digesting all that, but it's fine. Now, that was to whet your appetite. Next up, Bouncing Boy. Bouncing Boy, again, an imaginative name, he has the ability to expand his body to form a sphere, providing him with the ability to bounce off surfaces. If you're questioning the science behind it, whether his body expands full of air or whether his individual cells expand, reducing his density, it, it is sadly not explained. Squirrel Girl, Squirrel Girl is exactly who she sounds to be. She is Squirrel Girl. She has the uncanny ability to communicate with squirrels. And for some comic book reason, this means she can fight crime. <laughs> so there's that. Red B, his superhero MO is to put on a red and yellow costume and with his trained bees, fight gangsters. His favorite bee is named Michael. 
and lives inside his belt buckle for use only in special circumstances. You may be surprised to realize the character didn't become particularly popular. He was largely forgotten. One of the most useless superpowers we came across was that of Color Kid. And he can, in fact, change the color of things. So that's useful for interior decorating, but less so for saving the world. And, and lastly, I could go on and on, but lastly, and maybe perhaps appropriately for the 4th of July weekend, Ulysses Solomon Archer, Ulysses Solomon Archer, or USA, uh-huh, oh, that's right. He fights evil on the highways of America in his pimped out truck to avenge the death of his brother. His superpower is a metal plate in his skull, which somehow allows Ulysses to pick up CB transmissions. Awesome. So armed with this dubiously amazing and pretty archaic ability, he tries to find this man who kills his brother. Now, this is where it gets a little bit weird, because my money's actually on his nemesis, who apparently drives an 18-wheeler powered by evil itself against this guy who saved about 50 bucks on a CB radio. <laughs> it's comic books, it's fine. Now, we all have people we look up to, we all have hero figures in our lives, they may not wear capes, they may not wear spandex, it's probably good if they don't. And so back to our non-cape-wearing hero, David. We're in First um, Samuel chapter 17, and to help us get an idea of the story, I have um, a couple of friends that are gonna come help me. So Riley and Dylan, you wanna come on up? Oh, you're gonna you're not do what I asked, great. That's a good start. <laughs> we'll come on this side, just as I planned. Um, and onto this wooden part of the platform here. Perfect, excellent, that's great. Now I'm just gonna swap you guys over, because, you know. That's great. Okay, Dylan, you're gonna just stand right here, and that's it for the moment, okay? We got it, okay, good, excellent. All right, so I need to set the scene a little bit. We have, um, it's David and Goliath's story, we have the Philistines against the Israelites. Now, up here, the, the Philistines, God's enemies are over on this side, okay? Which is where you're gonna stand in a moment. In the middle is this deep valley, and on the other side is the Israelites, God's people's camp. So we have the good guys and the bad guys with a valley in between. And, and here is really where, where the problem became, because we have two armies that both have great vantage points in terms of a battle. Neither one wants to give that up and fight uphill. So they're just staring at each other. Just stalemate. That's it. So what the Philistines do is they send out um, their champion, Goliath, who is a giant, obviously. <laughs> it's good. It's going to be good. Um, it says in Scripture that Goliath was six cubits and one span tall. Now, some people theorize that that was maybe nine foot six. Could you look a little taller? <laughs> no? Okay. So it's, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. All right. So um, Goliath is here. He has some armor because he looks really impressive. Um, so we have some, oops, some armor for you to wear, Goliath, if we can put this on. Let's see here. This will help us remember that you're a giant. <laughs> That's right. It's nice, that fits nice. You okay there? Okay, excellent. Okay, so Goliath heads over to the Philistine camp, big step, and another one, excellent. And we're all the way over here, and he stands here. And he comes out in front of the camp, and he looks out to the Israelites, and he says, I challenge you 
I challenge you. To come fight me. To come fight me. That is a terrifying voice. And he says the winner... <laughs> they like that. The winner will win the whole battle. And then he comes, he comes back to the camp, and the next day, he turns around, he comes back out in front of the Philistine army, and he says, I challenge you. I challenge you. To come fight me. To come fight me. And then he comes, and he does this 40 times. How long have we got? No, let's just, okay, you're going to stand here, and you're not going to move. Excellent. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, back at home, David is with his father, Jesse, and Jesse says to David, look, we need to send some supplies to the Israelite camp. This is all about you now, okay? And he says, I want to give you um, a box of cornflakes. It was a bag of grain, I think, but that'll do. Hold it nice and steady. Um, Ten loaves of bread, which he just picked up from Safeway. You've got to be strong. And um, some cheese. So he gives this all to David. David turns around and heads over to the, to the Israelite camp. Big step, one more. Oh, you're so good at this. And he goes to the Israelite camp, and he gives the food and supplies, turn around, perfect, to the Israelites, perfect, maybe the piano. I'll be fine. And he hears Goliath, and he's a little bit confused, because no one is standing, stepping forward to fight Goliath. He doesn't understand how this guy is threatening God's people, and no one's doing anything. And he says, who is this guy? Who is this guy? That challenges. That challenges. God's army. That God's army. Good job. <laughs> Who is this? I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Who is this guy that challenges God's army? And the rest of the camp begin to hear this. And they're all terrified, but they hear there's this one kid who's really bold, or at least mouthy. <laughs> so something's going on here. And the word spreads, and King Saul hears about this. And he calls David in, and he says, David, what's going on? And, and David says, you know what? I will fight him. I will fight him. That was passionate. It was full of confidence. <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah, I felt like you meant it. It was so nice. It was, it was, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Saul says, okay, great. That's fine. Why don't you do that? Why don't you have a go? And so Saul gets his armor, and he gives it to David. He gives him his shield. He gives him his sword. This is your armor here. There you go, you can put a t-shirt on. <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. You got that on there? Yes. Well, the twist is, David says, you know what, I'm not going to wear this. This is too heavy for me, I'm not used to this. He takes it off again. Just one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's a family service, steady. <laughs> there we go, when you're ready. Excellent. And instead, he picks up five stones from the river, and he takes out his slingshot. Now, I don't have a prop for that, because I've worked with kids before. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. so we're going to imagine it. Okay? So you're going to have to work really hard at your acting skills. And he steps forward so he can see Goliath, who's over there looking very, very tall. And um, David says this. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down. 
it gets a little bit gory, so we skip ahead. And the entire earth will know that the whole God is in Israel, and that all this assembly will know the Lord saves not with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Okay. Wait, what's it? Wait, I say all of that? Just, just nod. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, good. Let me, let me put this down. Okay, so he steps forward. He puts a stone in his sling. Just put your stone in your sling. Excellent, that's good. And then he's, which, are you right-handed or left-handed? Uh, right-handed. You're right-handed. Okay, so your sling's going to be in this hand, and you're going to start to swing it like this. Keep going, keep going. You've got to get a good speed up. That's nice. And then he lets go, and the stone flies. You can see it. It flies. You can see it. It's very, this is slow motion, obviously. You wouldn't have time. And it comes down, and it hits Goliath right between the eyes, and Goliath silently dies. Silently. It was, it was weird. <laughs> and God's people cheered. Excellent. Thank you very much. You can head back to where you were. Goliath, you can also head back. That was very scripturally accurate. I hope you understand. <laughs> so the battle is at a stalemate. We have each army across this, this big valley. The Philistines bring out Goliath, their champion, and he challenges the Israelites to do the same, to bring out their champion and fight him. Now, the Israelites have come to see King Saul as their champion and their hero. But there's a problem with this picture. So let's take a step back for a second. God didn't want the Israelites to have a king at all. He wanted them to look at him as their king. And they had these judges that were appointed to govern the people kind of on the ground, so to speak. But the Israelites looked around them at the time, saw that every other nation had a king. They had a physical presence they could rally behind, and they wanted that. So Saul is anointed as king, and they start to depend on him to see them through difficulties rather than the strength of God. And that's where it becomes a problem. Now, and as Andy Stanley, the pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, he states this, we put our hope in what we depend on. We put our hope in what we depend on. Or maybe in this situation, on who we depend on. And the Israelites have begun to put their, their hope in Saul and the king and not in God. And you'll notice that in the story of David and Goliath, Saul is nowhere to be found. His absence is conspicuous. The guy they've placed their trust in, their king, has disappeared. And their hope disappears with him. We put our hope in what we depend on. You cannot be a hero simply by your position. A title means nothing in this regard. You might be voted in. You might be the team captain or the manager or the CEO. You might even be king. None of that makes you a hero. It's more than wearing the cape. It's more than looking the part. Saul was not the hero that they hoped he would be. And as a result, in verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him and were much afraid. So if the cape isn't important, then what does matter? What made David a hero? Well, David had the right motives. Because having the right motives matters. David had the right motives. Verse 26, David said to the men who stood by him, 
What shall be done for the man who killed this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He doesn't see Goliath as a personal threat, but as a threat to the armies of the living God. He sees the bigger picture, and he goes after the primary goal to uphold the name of the Lord and his chosen nation. He quickly, quickly realizes he is not the ultimate hero of the story, but the God is. He's not motivated by the prize. He wasn't motivated by the tax-free gift that Saul offered or the promise of a wife. Why there's always a woman involved, I don't know. But he was a man after God's own heart. And he saw the living God was not being given the respect and honor he deserved. His chosen people of Israel were in danger. And the choice to David was simple. So what giants do you want to fight in your own life? And what are your motives for doing so? For fame? To look better in the eyes of others? For prize? To honor the living God? David had the the right motives, and David used the right methods. Because having the right methods matters. He used the right methods, and his method was to draw from his past experiences. So picking up in verse 34, David said to King Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. If he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. God has orchestrated David's past experiences to prepare him for this current challenge. Every step David took in God's plan prepared him for the next one. David knew from experience size is not important, but what was at stake was very important. He fought a lion with a club to protect the sheep, so he went with what he knew to protect his people. God does the same in our lives. Each step we take in his plan prepares us for the next one. Each step we take in his plan prepares us for the next one. Saul gives David his own armor. He sends him out to fight Goliath, but David's never worn armor before. He's not used to wearing that helmet. He's not used to carrying a sword. He's used to sandals or sheepskin or whatever the shepherd equivalent to H&M was 3,000 years ago, and he went with what he knew. David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them, and he put them off. He took his staff in hand. He chose those five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now, we know from earlier accounts in the Bible that the Israelite armies used these slings as weapons. He wasn't using a toy, as we sometimes think. It wasn't just something he happened to have with him. These were deadly weapons. They used them in battle. It's probably one of the weapons he would have used as a shepherd. This is the weapon that preceded a bow and arrow and had a similar function. It consisted of like a leather pouch with two straps that came off it. The stone or some kind of projectile would be placed in the pouch. You would hold those strings, and then you would twirl it, spin it, whatever, like this, really hard, and then you would let go of one of the strings, and the uh, stone or whatever it is would, would fly out and hit its target. 
The rights that Malcolm Gladwell worked out based on the slings that they found through archaeology and the stones you can find geographically in that area, that as David releases that strap, the stone would be equal to a bullet from a 45-millimeter handgun. David effectively brought a gun to a knife fight. <laughs> he was well prepared. He used what he had, and he knew what he had experienced in the past to feed this giant. So as we approach a new giant, we need to draw on past experiences, or maybe the experiences of others. We need to be prepared, use the tools and resources that God has provided for us. David was well prepared, but he also placed his hope in God. David's trust and his hope was in the Lord, and he, he walks out to meet Goliath, sling in hand. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down. Skip the gory part. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. He confidently leans on his past experience, and he draws that strength from the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. It's not, it's not his. David has the right motive. He, he uses the right methods. He does his part, and he allows God to work. Motive and method is on us. The miracles are on God. The motives and the methods are on us, and the miracles are on God. By keeping our heart in check, by leaning into the experiences God has brought us through, he can and he will continue to work through us. David learned from his past giants to help with present giants that would equip him for future giants that he was yet to face. What seems like a, a very long time ago, I studied medical microbiology at Newcastle University. Newcastle is in the northeast of England, right by Scotland. It's a city-based university. It's a very little campus. The buildings are kind of scattered around. Um, and my first year, I was living in the university dorm rooms, which is a short walk outside the city center. Single rooms, picture you know, an eight-foot square box kind of deal. It was not a Christian college, and when I arrived, I set about looking for a church. It was the first thing I did, was just try and find a church and try and find a Christian union group to, to hang out with or whatever. Now, the guys that were housed in that hallway, the same hallway as myself, for some reason didn't take kindly to that, and I, honestly, I don't know why. But for some reason, for sport or idle pastime, they took it upon themselves to make sure I knew that the Christian was not welcome there. They would beat the door through the night. They would graffiti hurtful, explicit phrases on the wall for months. So in a new city, surrounded by new people, miles from home, I experienced a giant that I never expected. Waking up to the sound of people beating down the door is terrifying. Coming home to what should have been a safe place, but instead of having to clean graffiti off the walls, made me feel so vulnerable and so alone. And an eight-foot square bedroom began to feel really, really small. Now, that situation was remedied. So those that are maybe planning to go to college or sending kids to college, let me give you some peace of mind. The system did work. In the end, I reported it, and, and the right people knew, and, and I was relocated, oddly, to a dorm that housed post-grad exchange students. So it was a very different experience that I was expecting, but one that actually prepared me really well for the future. That past few months, that, that past giant, prepared me as I navigated my faith working for the National Health Service in the ER. 
That past giant strengthened my resolve and my faith and my willingness to, to stand up and be counted. That past giant provided me with an insight that enabled me to serve others who found themselves maybe in similar struggles. My best friend at the time, who knew everything that was going on, his words of encouragement, his help that he offered was this, you must be blessed to receive such treatment. Now, whether that is true or not, I learned from that experience never to use that phrase again. <laughs> now, as you know, the story of David doesn't end with Goliath. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore how God used David to fulfill his plan and, and how David learned from his experiences along the way. And the battle with Goliath actually is an experience he, he drew from directly again. In, in 2 Samuel 22, it says, These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. David had to fight literally more giants. And, and unfortunately, God doesn't promise that, that once you've defeated one giant, it will never resurface, or that it won't need maybe a second swing. And David had to defeat five of them. Our giants are probably not going to be quite as literal as that. They, they may be as difficult, and they may resurface. And every time we meet a giant, we need to place our hope in the Lord and draw from the experiences that he has brought us through, the experiences that he has given us. After David defeated Goliath, he became the hero of the land, the hero of every young boy for sure. Sales in the local sling store probably went through the roof. Whatever the equivalent of paparazzi was, maybe very fast rock carving, I don't know what it was, but whatever that was would have had a field day. Because the point is, when, when David became a hero, all eyes were on him. And every boy wanted to be like him. And people tend to, to try to be like their heroes. Um, my wife, Shay, and I we recently had our, our second baby, a baby girl. She's called Mabel. She's um, about six weeks old, I think now. It feels like months. Six weeks old, I think. And we've entered this new stage of life and parenting just the other day, we were sitting on the floor of the living room, and we were using reverse psychology to persuade my almost two-year-old to eat. And so I reached over to grab a plate that was on the floor, and then Shay quickly said, careful, that one has poop on it. <laughs> and it's only when you have two kids under the age of two that, yeah, that feels about right. <laughs> Why wouldn't there be a plate with poop in the living room? <laughs> anyway, that's not even relevant. Um, so Stanley, my almost two-year-old, um, has been learning to share um, mom and dad with this new addition to our family. And as a result, he and I have had a little bit more one-on-one -on -one time. Amazingly, and to me, dauntingly, in his eyes, I can do no wrong. In his eyes, I am a superhero. I am the fixer of torn pages, the unlocker of an iPhone, I have this magical ability to kiss and restore any ailment instantly. I am the one ready to venture out and explore the savage wilds of Woodenville at any opportunity, <laughs> always in search of the elusive and incredibly dangerous Mau Mau, which you might know as a domestic cat. <laughs> and get this, I am so strong. I am so strong, I can even carry a two-year-old on my shoulders over short distances <laughs> in cool weather. <laughs> but to further the point, here's um, a picture of, actually, I think it was last week or, or just the week before. It was real recent. 
Tiny little guy. So unbeknownst to me, he's walking in step behind me through the store, doing his very best to copy his dad as closely as he could. And as I thought about who our hero is, Jesus, it struck me as such a challenge to see our hero through the eyes of a child. The challenge is to emulate Jesus closely and completely and to walk in step with him, with a man who was quick to include the outsider, quick to serve others, regardless of race or gender, a man who was willingly, he willingly laid down his life for you and, and for I. And I was struck by this idea. What would happen if I saw my hero, Jesus, like a two-year-old? So picture a child dressed in a cape they've made, made from a blanket, perhaps. They're not simply playing dress-up. They have become the hero they dream of being. A child leaping from the garden wall, shooting imaginary webs from their wrists, does so because they have become Spider-Man. So what if... What if we were so entwined with becoming like Jesus that when the next giant comes along, we are so like him, we are so closely in step behind him that it is hard to tell where he ends and where we begin. As a child follows his dad, let us follow God, our Father, into battle. We're going to continue to worship together. So will you stand And I'd love to pray for us as we continue to sing to Jesus. Father, we thank you for that that great, incredible image of David fighting a giant. And how if we draw in your strength and we learn from what you've brought us through, we can do the same. And we ask that as we face those giants, whatever they are, that you surround us with your love and your strength and you fill us with your courage so that we can continue to uphold your name and give you the honor that you deserve. Father, we ask that you help us to follow in the footsteps of our hero, Jesus. We thank you for the great example he sets, for the great love that you have. And we ask as we go from this place that you join us and strengthen us into battle. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.